where I grew up, you didn't see people become actors. You know, you were blue collar or white collar or whatever. You know, you worked at a gas station or you worked in a bank, but you didn't. Nobody went and did a play. It just wasn't done. It is not part of the realm of possibilities. Listening to Inside Acting, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. I'm Trevor Elgott, and coming up in episode 273 today, we open the vaults to bring back an old favorite our interview with working actor Darren Petty. Now, we first talked to Darren way back in episode 80 episode 8-0. It was a while back. And, and Darren's journey from the military to the stages of New York and L.A., from Juilliard to recurring roles on Mad Men, Ringer, and Madam Secretary, the whole thing just rings more true than ever, even some 200 episodes later. So we're really excited to revisit this. Darren's philosophy really epitomizes the role of the committed artist, humble, hungry, and in it for the long haul. Support for this episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by Rehearsal Pro, the next version of Rehearsal, the essential app for actors that's now available in the iTunes App Store for your iOS device. If you want to learn your lines, be off book for your auditions, explore your character, make stronger choices, and do a whole bunch of other cool stuff coming down the pipe, go to rehearsal.pro slash IAP right now to learn all about the great new features in this newest version of Rehearsal the groundbreaking app designed by actors for actors to get you in the room, book you the office, and book you more work. That's rehearsal.pro slash IAP. This episode of Inside Acting is also brought to you in part by printheadshots.com, superior headshot printing. At printheadshots.com, all orders include free shipping, free retouching, free layouts, free proofs, and no hidden fees. You don't pay a dime, not a penny, until you approve your proofs. And now you can use promo code IA, as in Inside Acting, IA, to get $10 off your order. Most orders arrive within just a day or two. So for superior printed headshots with unparalleled turnaround time, visit printheadshots.com and use promo code IA for $10 off. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 273 of the podcast. This is Trev. AJ and I couldn't sync up our schedules this week for a number of reasons, but he did record a few segments that I'm going to play here in just a minute. But before we jump into the sort of meat of the episode, I do want to thank a bunch of new members that jumped in and joined us inside the membership since the last time we recorded. I'm going to screw up these names, but bear with me, guys. Linda Sko, Rachel Epp, Dorothea Silios. Cartrell Daniels, Kaylee Metz, and Christian Cochet. Uh, wow, guys, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, really, really excited to have you inside the membership, sharing your journey, offering your perspective, your own unique experience, and everybody supporting one another to really get to the next level with their goals in this journey we call life, but you know, the acting specific part of it, but really life. 
if there's anything we've learned over the course of the podcast, it's that those two things are one and the same. Uh, but that's, you know, I'm just so excited to see more and more people uh, join the membership and nurture this community. One of the reasons we created the membership was because, you know, Facebook groups for actors are dime a dozen, right? I mean, we actually have a Facebook group on on uh, on Facebook. <laughs> it's uh, it's the Inside Acting Facebook group. I'm, I think there's a bunch of people in it, but I, I kind of don't go in there anymore because so many of these Facebook groups so quickly devolve into just like spam and noise and self-promotion and all sorts of just useless crap. And it still kind of blows my mind how how many people don't get that if you just like spray people with a sales message, it doesn't work. And the only Facebook group I can think of that that doesn't really have this is uh, Bonnie Gillespie's Self-Management for Actors group. They have a policy in that group. And I think this is the way it works. But for every ask that you make, an ask being asking somebody to do something for you, whether it's, you know, click on your IMDb link for your star meter or whatever, like your Facebook page, back your Kickstarter campaign, watch your web series, whatever it is, for every one of those you post, I think that they ask you then in turn to post three gives. So three uh, links to interesting articles on the web or, um, you know, an interesting podcast episode that you heard or or some sort of free class that you came across or a recipe. I, I don't know what it could be, but something that adds value to the community. That's the ratio. 25% of the time you're, you're sort of self-promoting and asking people to do things for you. And then 75% of the time you are actively participating that kind of stuff goes a long way, and it creates a really wonderful, nurturing, positive uh, environment for people. Uh, but if you're if you're not doing that, if all you're doing is asking for stuff, it quickly devolves into into nothingness. And part of the reason we created the membership was because when there's no barrier to entry on these things, like the, all these Facebook groups are free, so anybody can kind of go in there and start just selling their stuff, and that's all good and well. But without building a relationship with somebody and finding out what they want. Just going in there and like spamming them with your stuff, people just tune out, man, and they stop going to that place. And so the membership has that extra level of barrier to entry, which I think is a really healthy and good thing. And we have people in there that really want to be there, that believe in the philosophy of building relationships, not networks, and uh, and want to help each other. So really happy to have you guys uh, joining us inside the membership. Thank you so much for joining. Excited to meet you and interact with you and support you and and really learn from what you've got going on. I mean, you have perspectives that, that we don't. So thank you guys for joining. Um, as far as my personal news, it was my birthday a few days ago. I went uh, camping in Joshua Tree with my little brother. It was really wonderful to have some, some brother time, uh, some one-on-one brother time, especially in light of recent events that have really taken me out of the game for a while. Uh, but it was it was a wonderful experience, and I continue to practice remaining open to this journey, uh, open to the texture of life and inspiration and creativity and just, just the flow, the ebb and flow of it all, man. I mean, that's been my, my journey these past few years. I, I got really tired of pushing and struggling all the time, and I just, I just decided to let go of the wheels for a little bit and and just see what happens and practice acceptance and breathing and all that new age stuff. And it's been really wonderful. And that's actually one of the reasons I'm really excited to bring back this interview with Darren, because that's really his philosophy and his journey really speaks into one of our favorite sayings on the podcast and something that I've been really into lately, really into practicing, which is 
Wear life like a loose garment. Don't take yourself too seriously. Have a sense of humor about things. And that's really Darren's philosophy and his approach. And I, I really, that stuck with me all these years. That's, that's, that stuck with me. And I've been thinking about this interview more and more as I've been, you know, processing my, my brother's death. And I'm excited to bring it back. So uh, all that said, that's me. Let's hear from AJ. AJ, what's going on in your world, man? Hello, IAP fam. How's it going out there? Long time, no talk. I just have two quick things to talk about this week as Trevor and I are recording separately. The first is I had, along with uh, Ben Whitehair, who tends to help me on these things, one of the most fun self-tape auditions that I've ever had, and it turned out to be one of the most entertaining self-tapes I think I've ever put on tape. And what I mean by that is I was able to watch it with Ben, so I'm not a crazy person who was just narcissistically watching himself on video, but Ben and I were able to watch it uh, probably half a dozen times and laugh each and every time at how preposterous and ridiculous this thing was. And while I know it is almost always better to be in the room, I would just encourage all of us to get really good at the self-taping thing because it's just, it's the way that the industry is going and it gives you an opportunity to audition for things that you might not have had the opportunity to audition for. Obviously, minor markets, other markets. I'm, I'm putting myself on tape for stuff in New York a lot. Um, but also, you know, there might be a situation where a casting office just isn't going to bring people in the room. So you may be in the same city as wherever this thing shoots, and they may have be having people put themselves on tape anyway. So it behooves all of us to, you know, get the right equipment, get some decent lighting, um, some some a microphone for your 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 mobile device, your iPhone or Android phone or whatever you're shooting your actual video on, or just a separate camera altogether with a separate microphone. More on this later with my pick of the week, and uh, you know, make sure you have that that neutral backdrop, of course, and maybe practice. You know, uh, Ben and I have gotten really really good at doing this supporting each other and doing this f for each other, reading opposite one another. And the little nuances and tricks that we've come up with have uh, have really supported us in making quality self-tapes. So that's the first thing. The second thing is I just wanted to update everyone since it's been kind of a running uh, subject or topic or uh, subject matter on the podcast. The promotion that I've been talking about for several weeks now, I actually got. So, yay. Um, it's going to mean a, a big change, mostly in terms of schedule. And that's going to potentially be a bit of a shock to the system. But it also means a big change in uh, my income, which is the main reason I was pushing forward in the first place. So that's great news. And also, you know, what I've been reminding people, a lot of people have been obviously, as an actor, a lot of people have been asking me, how are you going to deal with that when it comes to your acting career, when it comes to auditions and that kind of thing? And I am still, to this day, for, forever inspired by our interview with Porter Kelly way, way, way back in the early days of the podcast when she had a temp job <clears throat> or... or uh, 
was working at this place. I think it was a temp job. Uh, memory serves. And she she had an audition, and she said, "I'm going. You know, I, I have to go to this audition." And they said, "Well, if you go, you're you're fired, or or you know, we can't let you go." They basically told her no. I don't know if they threatened her with being fired, but they basically told her no. And she was like, "Oh, okay." And then went and started packing up the things on her desk to leave. And they were like, "What are you doing?" And she said, "Well, I'm an actor first. This job is supporting me in that venture, and if you aren't going to support me in that, I have to go. I have to leave." And they were shocked. And she walked out. And knowing Porter, she probably booked uh, that job. But uh, that's a story. Now, I haven't necessarily been relaying that story to people. But when people ask me, "What are you going to do about this new job, the full time position, and your acting?" and I always tell them. One thing I know is I'm going to every audition that I want to go to. Uh, I will be going. How that works out with my job, I don't know, but I will make it work. And, you know, we talked recently a few episodes back about, you know, making it work with the business, going to your management with a solution, all of that stuff. So, um, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's the main, you know, couple of points I wanted to talk about. Uh, today and more later when we get to the pick of the week. Dude, that is so cool. Two things. Number one, we got to put together like a, just a list of recommended products that people can just go to and be like, okay, I want a home tape setup. I want the lights. I want the best backdrop. I want the best microphone, all that stuff. I know that's coming in the pick of the week, at least one of those, but like just here's where you go for the, what we recommend. We got to do that. Um, So AJ, maybe you can help me put that together. It's really, really cool. Uh, and congratulations. It's been inspiring to watch you just keep at it, keep at it. And the more we do something, the better we get. And uh, you're probably crushing the self-taping thing right now, man. It sounds like it's been a lot of fun and a real learning experience. And what a skill to have, to be able to put yourself on tape quickly, reliably, know you're doing good work, being familiar with the workflow and the setup. That's a key skill, man. And that's a guarantee that's going to come into play right when you need it. Not a moment sooner. You're just going to have some crunch time for some big thing. And you're going to be like, oh, I know how to do this in my sleep. And you're going to knock it out in five minutes and you're going to book the role and it's going to change your career. I know it. Just wait. Just wait. I'm calling it. And also, uh, congrats on the new job. That's really, really exciting. I know you've been after that for a while. The big conversation with so many of us is art or money. That seems to be a thing among us. It's just, it's just instilled in our heads that we can, that there's got to be like a period of 10 to 15 years where you practice your art and struggle and starve and be broke and be not able to afford things. Or you don't practice your art, but you make a lot of money. But why can't there be both? There are a lot of people out there making a living doing what they love. And they are, you know, they're not the I don't know, the Jerry Seinfelds and the Louis C.K.'s and the, I don't know why I'm picking comics, but, you know, they're not all those people. A lot of these people are making it work. I mean, there's not, a, there hasn't, there's no better time to be alive and be a content creator or an actor, which I like to think really have to be the same thing these days, but there's no better time to be alive than now. I mean, the options for monetizing your creativity are just, just like, they never, there's, they're endless. They're almost infinite with the internet. And uh, it's a really exciting time to be alive. I've been reading, rereading The $100 Startup by Chris Gullibo. We'll put a link to that in the, in the show notes for this. And that, that's all about just monetizing your idea and how to just, it's, it, it's built on solid marketing principles, you know, solid internet marketing principles, but it's also flexible enough that you could really slot it into just about anything that you 
want to do, whether it's sketching or selling mattresses or doing a you know an at-home car repair service or cooking bread for people. I don't know. Whatever it is, this book has a lot of good stuff for you. So uh, congrats, AJ. Really excited. I mean, I am all for the full-time gigs that offer benefits and stability. And, you know, the point I guess I'm trying to make here is that we do not have to struggle anymore. None of us should be broke. There's no excuse except I'm lazy. Um, And that's a pretty bad excuse if you ask me. So don't say that. All right, lecture over. (laughs) Excited to jump back into this interview with Darren. This was originally a two-part interview that we aired. Uh, The first part was like 23 minutes, and the second one was 13 minutes. But since this episode's kind of shorter and condensed, I'm just going to put both of those segments together into one long interview. It's not even long. It goes really fast. And Darren is just such a down-to-earth, like, all-American, salt-of-the-earth kind of like Look, it's a tough journey, but I'm committed to it for the long haul, and this is what I've learned as a working actor. That's what this is about, and that's why I value it so much. There is just timeless wisdom here on being in this industry with all the ups and downs and all the ego conversations that we all have in our heads. How do you do it? Darren has figured it out. Uh, And I think the best part about it is that he would never say he's figured it out. But uh, if I could sum it up, wear life like a loose garment. Enjoy this interview with Darren Petty once again, and we'll catch you on the other side. Okay, guys, we are sitting here across from Darren Petty, uh, an actor who's been on, uh, God, quite a lot of stuff. And uh, we met Darren um, while working at the Kirk Douglas. He came in and did a show there and was it was just really great to kind of chat with him and get him on the podcast. So uh, excited to be sitting down with you, Darren. Thanks for being here. Oh, well, thanks for having me. Um, so we usually have to start at the very beginning and kind of get a feel for or really kind of what your journey has been to kind of bring you into this this business. And we were talking a little bit beforehand just now, and you said you had done done some service in the military and so mm-hmm. something tells me you have a little bit of a of an unconventional story so uh so where did this all start i, I guess it is a little unconventional because I, I grew up in uh in in uh the south in alabama and, and we didn't really have any arts programs in uh the schools i went to in the bigger c- cities i think they did in you know montgomery the capital and birmingham but i was we lived in small various small towns and you know, so drama wasn't really a part of what was going on. But then when I was in high school, a teacher from a, another town, a bigger town, moved to our town. And she started a sort of a drama club. And um, and I, I, me and another buddy did it. And it just seemed easy. And, uh, uh, and, and, and I really liked it. And then we did a play. And I, I enjoyed doing the play. And so then I got out of high school and I ended up going into the Navy. And uh, the whole Navy thing is funny because people... In my high school, I was the last person I thought was going to go to the military, but um, I got in a little trouble. And uh, oh, you got to you got to tell that story. 
Well, <laughs> it was, it's not really un- that big. Un- unless, unless they're still after you, in which no, case no, no, you no. don't have to tell that story. No, it's just in, in small towns in the south, it's a lot easier to get in trouble probably than it is in big cities where the cops don't have as, you know, don't have as much to do down there. And it was all just teenage drunken stuff. And, uh, but I can't, so it wasn't your fault. It was, wasn't the, my it was fault the board cops. It was the board cops and, uh, and the crowd I was running with. And I was always the one that would get caught because I would, I don't know. Anyway, nothing that serious, obviously. But I ended up going to the military. And uh, it was while I was in the military. I don't, I don't know how, but I was, you know, you're, you're sitting there. when you, I guess there's nothing like doing something you absolutely hate to make you think about what you actually want to do with your life. And, uh, oh, wow. and I did not enjoy the military at all. So uh, it was during that time that I started, I just would think about doing that play and how much I really loved doing it and felt like I had some ability. I, I had obviously had no training and didn't know anything about training or what training was. And I got out of the military and I ended up out here and uh, I started taking classes at Santa Monica College. Uh, there was a teacher there who thought I should try to go to New York. She thought I'd, I could, it would be good for me to go get classically trained. And um, for some reason, she thought I had a capacity for that. And, and uh, she, I remember what she said to me was like, don't just stick around L.A. trying to be on some TV show. You know, go to New York. And what happens, you go to New York, you get trained, you do theater, and you end up back in L.A. trying to be on some TV. <laughs> but, uh, hey man, so you took, uh, you took theater classes at, at, uh, at SMC, then. yeah. Wow, right on. And I got and so from there I auditioned to, uh, for Juilliard, which was her idea. I knew nothing about Juilliard. I mean, I knew it was uh, for music, and I got in. And I think knowing so little about it is what kind of helped me get in because I remember going to that audition, and there were kids there. And I was older as well. You know, I was like 26 while I was auditioning, and there's 18-year-olds there that have, with their parents and, you know, doing pirouettes in the hall, and this has been their dream since they were four years old to go to Juilliard. And I mean, I was nervous, but I wasn't like that. I was just felt like if I didn't get in, I'd just go back to L.A. and do whatever I'd been doing. But um, but I got in, and... Uh, <laughs> Of course you did. And, well, I we, mean, always, we always book the ones we don't care about. Yeah, yeah. Well, well I mean, it's not that, like I said, it's not that I didn't care, but I didn't have as much at stake at stake yeah, as yeah, these totally. as a lot. Of, and, and and you know, some some of the kids. I mean, when I say kids, they were just so much younger than me. Some of my classmates were like that. It's been their dream, and they they got in, and they were really good. Me, I was, I got I got in because I was, uh, I, I, you know, I, I wasn't as as invested in it but and then I got there and I was scared to death because I'd never seen a Broadway show I'd never I didn't know anything you know and I was older than everybody I mean there was another guy that was a few months younger than me but there were a lot, a lot of the students there they'd grown up near the city or other cities and had grown up seeing the theater I didn't grow up like that at all and uh I remember just feeling so insecure when I got there but but I loved it I absolutely loved it it was because I'd been out working since I was 18 you know and uh, now, all of a sudden, I've I'm, I'm got these loans and grants, and I had a little bit of a scholarship, and it's like my only job is to get up every morning and go to school and, and you know, do voice and speech and acting class and movement. And I just thought it was great, man. I was, I'd been bartending and <laughs> busting my ass since I was 18, and I was like, this is great. Uh, I mean, it sounds like you guys went to a conservatory or something like it. You know, you do a lot of work, but mm-hmm. it was... Uh, I, I really loved it. And, and I also, there was something about going there older because a, a lot of people like really rebel against the, 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 the training and like, oh, they're trying to change me. And 
I don't know, being a little older, I'd already, and having been through the military, I, I, I would just was like, I knew how to play the game a little bit. You know, if the teachers wanted to see this, I would just do it. But I wouldn't be like, if there was something about the training that I felt like maybe I wasn't crazy about, I just, I wouldn't have to like raise my voice about it. I would just be like, yeah, I would do it and then forget about it. You know, sort of like take what you need and leave the rest. And there was a lot of fear. I mean, I, I think if any, if I can get across anything, like my coming into acting is like just all this fear before because I like I said I didn't grow up around it I didn't I was there's and I come from a part of the country that I mean people are great down there and they're very supportive but there's also a little bit of like what you think you're gonna do that you know what I mean it's just like it's not I think kids that grow up in or I, hell I don't know I didn't grow up in LA or New York where maybe you get the same thing there but I think it's just it's something you see people do you know that, that like I didn't where I grew up you didn't see people become actors you know, it just wasn't, you know, you got a job either, you know, you were blue collar or white collar or whatever, you know, you worked at a gas station or you worked in a bank, but you didn't, nobody went and did a play. It just wasn't done. It is not mm. part of the realm of possibilities. So I'm very lucky that I uh, kind of got thrown into it in high school or not thrown into it, but it had this little teacher come from another town, start a little thing and then. Somehow me going in the military exposed me to more of the world. So I was like, oh, okay, there is other stuff out here, even though I didn't want to go and it wasn't something I enjoyed particularly. And then before I knew it, I'm, I'm living in L.A. and just decided to go to Santa Monica and like, well, there's a theater department here. I might as well take some classes. And, hmm. and then I met this teacher who said, oh, maybe you should think about going to New York, and which was completely terrifying to me but exciting. And then I, I went and... And the thing is, if you're going to go to school and you've already been accepted, it's a lot different, I think, from just showing up in New York on your own. You know, you instantly have a community who are kind of there to help you out a little bit. I mean, the way I was at that age, if I just would have shown up in New York on my own, I'm, I might not have made it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it sounds almost like, um, like you were just kind of like going with the flow, yeah, like rolling with the punches a little bit, and yeah. just kind of going where somebody said to go next yeah. kind of thing. And now here I am, a huge star. <laughs> so I was going to ask, um, I mean, coming from a place where people just didn't go off and become actors, as you said, did you have a, were you going against the grain there in terms of what your family and friends may have uh, expected or wanted you to do? No, no. I mean, I've been very lucky in that respect as well. My mother has always been, I mean, my mom just wanted me to do something. You know what I mean? She's like, as long as you do something, just do it. Don't sit around a bar talking about it, you know, uh, in a bar, you know, talking. I was going to do this and I was going to do that because that happens. And um, and then my as far as my father and, and my, my father's side of the family who are they're, they're a little more backwoods, wonderful people, but completely, you know, my world to them is I think is very, very foreign but they are a hundred percent supportive. They they love any you know anytime they can see me in something and and uh, so no I I never and I do know people from places like where I come from or people from places like this who have parents that you know I don't you guys maybe I don't know what you've experienced you know where that are like really you want to go into that and, you know there's, there's no future and it's just you're gambling with your life and that's all true it is a gamble yeah but. If it's what you love to do, you know, I got some great advice from, uh, you know, my stepfather once who had, who my stepdad wanted to be a writer and finally did. He finally did write, write a book, but he, he, he had kids when he was, you know, fairly young, like 
most people in that part of the country those days is you got married in your 20s and you had kids and you got to support people and you know went into uh worked as a nursing home administrator but but there was always something in him that kind of wished he would have really gone for it as a writer and he and he told me once when i was starting to think about doing this he was like you know just do what you love just do what you love and let the other stuff work itself out and uh i i I, I just think it's great advice Mm. some of the best do what you love and the money will follow yeah Yeah. Or it won't, but you're still doing what you love. You're still doing what you love. Yeah, exactly. You're not doing it for money, doing it for love. I mean, some people, there are people out there that are making great money doing what they hate. And, Hmm. yeah. You know. Yeah. And who's the, who's the better, who's the wiser for it? Yeah. Um, Did you graduate from Juilliard? Yeah. Yeah. I just, the reason I asked that question is because you are among, you were not in the company of people like Kevin Spacey and uh, Val Kilmer, who did did not graduate. <laughs> no, that's the joke there. It's like, yeah. if you really want to be successful, you got to either quit or get kicked out. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I'm sure. Yeah. It's not like that would be the truth. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Wow. Those people who didn't, who didn't actually follow it through. So you, you graduated from Juilliard and then, uh, and then what next? You hung out in New York for a little while and. Well, for, yeah, for until just a year ago, I graduated yeah. in 01. My first job was uh, part of the ensemble for Shakespeare in the park. We were doing, they were doing measure for measure and, I had like three lines. And then I got a job right after that, my first real part in an off-Broadway play at the Vineyard Theater doing a play called, uh, or there's these four one-acts by Doug Wright, who wrote Quills, and uh, Doug's a great writer. And uh, and he directed this as well, and this was called um, Don't Unwrap Your Candy. And then I, and then I went into, I, I got three, like three great off-Broadway gigs in a row, just bam, 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 bam. And then I was so broke because, you know, it's... it's yeah, I was going to say, what were you doing to kind of support yourself doing between anything. these gigs? Nothing. I wasn't doing anything. I was, living, I was living up in Harlem before Harlem had really become as gentrified as it is now. And, and I'm in an apartment that was just like being passed down to actors. You know, actors have been living in this apartment forever. It's like four of us living there. And, and uh, I was living on the 350 bucks a week I was making, you know, and, or trying to live on that. And then... And then I got a fourth off-Broadway play, and I had to turn it down because I had to go get a bartending job, and there was just no way to do them both. You know, when you go into rehearsal, you're busy. If I would have been the lead in the play, <laughs> I'm sure I would have made it work. But I was like, well, this, it's a good part, but I got, I got to make some money and get out of the hole. So I wouldn't have to, you know, get a job job. Can you talk about those contracts? I've always wondered about because, you know, having never worked, I've gone to New York for auditions and callbacks and things like that, but... When somebody says they're doing a show off Broadway, is that still like a, a Lort theater? Or I mean, it sounds like not because if it's three hundred and fifty dollars a week, it's not as much as your typical, you know, Lort contract. So, like, where does that fit in when it comes to Lort A, B, C, and D? Uh, do people make enough money to make a living off Broadway, or do you really have to be, you know, on Broadway in a Broadway show in order to make enough money to to, to survive as just an actor in? in new york or um what was your experience of that i mean yeah you lived there for so lived and worked there for so long i mean it's it's a real i i'm i don't know the ins and outs that well most of the off-broadway <laughs> theaters in new york are non-profit companies so each hmm. each of these theaters they they have an, an actual company even though it doesn't really operate like um what you think of as a theater company it's not the same actors doing you know uh, going and uh, doing a you know repertory or anything like that, but they do technically call themselves a company like the Atlantic Theater Company and the Vineyard Theater Company. The contracts 
yeah, I can't remember exactly what those contracts are under. I mean, it, it it's not the three hundred fifty bucks was you know ten years ago. It's gone up some, but not a lot. And they just don't have the money, apparently. I mean, and and then and what's tough now for a lot of actors in New York is that even Broadway now, the companies that do the uh, that do most of the productions of straight plays on Broadway are the Roundabout and Lincoln Center and uh, Manhattan Theater Club, and those are nonprofit nonprofit organizations as well. Mm. And so th- those c- contracts are like Lord A. They're not commercial Broadway contracts, mm-hmm. even though it's a Broadway show. Yeah. So, and this is like, you know, people get in big arguments about this in New York, but it, the fact is you, you're doing a Broadway show, but you're not getting paid like you're in a Broadway show. Right. I mean, some straight plays are still commercial contracts, and most of the, a lot of the big musicals are commercial contracts, yeah. but most of the straight plays aren't. Huh. And uh, that's why you see, not why you see, but, you know, you have a lot of people who are very famous going to plays because they can afford to do it and then you got a lot of theater actors coming out here now because they can't afford to do it anymore wow you can't i mean in my opinion no you can't make a living in new york i mean as if you're a musical theater person um and you can you know which i'm not and you can go from a musical to musical i think you can make a pretty decent living or if you're one of the few people and there's only a few these days i think in the old days there were more that genuinely become you know a theater star Mm mm-hmm and you and you're going from Broadway show to Broadway show and you're doing commercial Broadway shows you can probably make a living but if you're just one of the many out there who, are, who work a lot in off Broadway and every now and then get a Broadway gig you have to do commercials voiceovers uh whatever TV there is you have to come out here and try to do some TV or you have to or you're not going to you you know it's the most expensive city in the country yeah and you're making such little money Regional theater has to pay a little more than off-Broadway because they got to bring it to their city, whereas, you know, everybody wants to work in New York, mm-hmm. you know, and be seen in New York, so. How often have you doubted this career choice, if at all? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, I think everybody, anytime you're, any, any actor has moments of doubt. I mean, I, it's not that I've ever sat down and said, all right, I'm going to go back to school and become a lawyer or anything like that. But yeah, there's those, especially those, you know, dark nights of the soul when you can't sleep and you start projecting into the future. And maybe you've had a few months of not working and money's running out from when you did work and you're thinking about, well, how am I ever going to do this? Or what's going to happen when my mother gets older? Or what if I want to have a family, you know, and you start thinking, man, what am I doing with my life? This is insane. This is insane. What is it in me that needs the validation that, that, you know, that comes with being on stage or in front of a camera instead of just going and getting a damn job. And, but these days, I mean, shoot, most of the countries in our, in the same actors <laughs> these days. I mean, that's I, very true. It's but when, not, when you, when you do have those dark nights of the soul, what do you, what brings you, what snaps you out of it? Well, sometimes I just fall asleep and I wake up in the morning and I feel better. <laughs> Sleep and then, on. Yeah. And then sometimes I, what I try to do is just, I try to think about a job that I had that I really loved, you know, a play I did that I really just loved and remember that that's, that's, that's why I do it. And I didn't, you know, I didn't get into this to get rich. If you get into acting, unless you're already crazy connected or, or born with some sort of, well, I was going to say born like exceptionally beautiful, but that doesn't even make anything for sure. If you get into acting to, be, to get rich, you're kind of stupid, really. I mean, <laughs> like I said, unless you're kind of 
in born into the business. You know, you have yeah. family that are really high up in the food chain and can help you out a little bit. If you're coming from where I'm coming from and you think, you know what, this acting thing, I think is going to how I'm going to make it rich. You're kind of crazy. Right. Because the chances of becoming rich, are, yeah, it's possible, but it's very slim. If you can think, or, or like, I'm going to be a movie star. I'm going to be, you know, I was, like I said, I was 26 years old when I auditioned for Juilliard. I, I, I wasn't like, and I'm going to get out and be a movie star, you know, at 30. Mm-hmm. But if you come into this career, or if one, or, or just, you know, just being like, I love to act. I love to act. My favorite thing to do. I'm very passionate about it. I feel like I have some talent and it's just, I want to give it a shot and see what happens and, and, and be grateful for what you get. Be grateful for the jobs you get. And, uh, that's, that's the way to find some happiness. I think in, in this business, you know, and, and when you are getting paid to do it, it's just like, wow, they're paying me to do this. <laughs> yeah. You know? And it's all worth it. Yeah. yeah. And speaking of, you've had, uh, you've had a nice run these past couple of years. I mean, you've been on a ton of, uh, of TV shows, and I mean, let's talk a little bit about all the stuff that's been working great for you recently. Uh, I think, I think probably what you're best known for is uh, recurring spots on Mad Men. Right. Yeah. Um, so, um, when did things start to really click for you, and when what's that? What's this ride the past few years been like? Well, it's funny. I mean, I, I don't guess any of us ever think things have started clicking yet. You know, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, they have from the outside. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, well, Mad Men was. Uh, has definitely helped a lot. And I mean, and I only did four episodes of that show, but people really loved to hate the character I play, Lee Garner Jr. And, uh, and it was just one of those things. It was really, uh, I was really lucky because and I've told the story before when I, when I got that job, I had, I hadn't been working very much. And, um, it was just a day on this new pilot. You know, I went in, I didn't get the whole script. I knew nothing about it. I was a little, pissed i was like why didn't i go in for the for the series regular you know character or one of the characters but i didn't even know what those characters were because all i got were the sides for the audition and uh which again was just a little day spot on the pilot because they shot the pilot in new york and um and i got it off tape i didn't even go in front of matthew weiner for the audition you know i just went in for a casting director they taped me and uh i was like oh great i didn't think anything i was like whatever it's a day on a tv show it's a little bit of money it's you know pilot who even knows if it's going to get picked up. And then uh, I got there, and then I was in the makeup chair, and John Hamm was sitting next to me, and John and I had worked in a restaurant together when I lived out here. What? Yeah. That's crazy. Years ago, when he was right out of... We were about the same age, but he had, like a responsible human being, had gone to school right out of high school and not messed <laughs> around for a while like me. So I was getting ready to go to Juilliard when we got to know each other. And he was John Hamm is one of the nicest guys. I mean, just such a great guy. And we're sitting in the makeup chair. I was like, John? And he's like, yeah, man, Darren, you know, 72 Market Street, right? He's like, yeah, it was the restaurant I worked at. I didn't even know he was the lead of the pilot. And then he had been kicking around out here. I mean, he had worked, but, you know, he had been out here for, at that time. It was like 10 years later. And, uh, and then I saw John Slattery, who I just knew a little from. We got mutual friends. He's, he's a New York actor. And, um, and I saw him. And, and then we went and we did the scene and, uh, and, and, and John Slattery gave me a ride home that day because he had his car. We're shooting out of Kaufman Studios in Queens, and I was going to take the train back. And he's like, oh, "I'll give you a ride." And it was so funny, you know. He was like, "I don't know." He's like, "This script, I think, is great, but who knows if it's going to catch on?" It's you know about a bunch of ad guys in late fifties, early sixties. I don't know if people would be interested in that. And then, boom, it came out, and immediately it was 
this huge. I mean, it's not a huge numbers hit, apparently, but who cares? I mean, it's it's iconic already, that show. You know, you have these clothing lines there, Banana Republic, whatever, basing mm-hmm. their fall wardrobe on Mad mm-hmm. Men and all that crazy shit. And, and I didn't know if I was going to be on it again, you know. And um, But then they called me, because I didn't go back in until the third season. And uh, and then the fourth season, I did a couple episodes. And then it came to an end, which I knew it eventually would. You know, that eventually I was going to... Yeah, I hope I didn't mess that up for anybody that watches it on TV. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, right. Anyway. Um, but no, it was just great because that, that part was, it's just a fun part for me to play. It's, uh, and, and they, that's, and, and it's, it's, it's getting, TV has gotten a lot better, obviously, but it's still, it's just rare when you go in for TV and the writing is like that. You know, it's like doing a play that they're filming or like doing more like I could probably do in a movie that they do every week. And, and the wardrobe department, the props department, they're just so detailed and so specific with what they want and what they think you might need. But they ask you, they're like, you think Lee would use this lighter or this lighter? And it's some fancy lighter from 1961. Wow. I'm like, oh, I think he might use that one. Wow. So everybody's always like, man, what kind of character work did you do? And it, actually, I did so little on that character because they did it all. I mean, once they put me in those clothes and they slick your hair back and you've got great writing, I mean, I put a little southern twang on there. And it's just like you're ready to go. It's it's it was really, a, you know, fascinating to kind of look back on that because, you know, it was pe- people have really just deconstructed what I've done. I mean, have come up to me strangers and been like, you know, and I think and I you could see this part of Lee that I thought you really really showed everyone in this episode with the. I'm like, <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> wow. What's really kind of striking me about this conversation is that. You're one of the kind of rare actors, unfortunately, in this city that really views this line of work as exactly that, as a line of work, the same way a plumber might view his line of work or a a lawyer might view his line of work. You're not in it to, you know, um, at least not predominantly to kind of get known or to get your face on TV or things like that. You come from a very kind of different place of like, this is my craft and I'm for hire. Yeah, and um, I think that's like a different, that's that's different than most actors come out to L.A. to approach the business. Well, I mean, it's, don't get me wrong. I mean, I have an ego, and there's a part of me that's like, you know, I love it if I, yeah, I mean, you know, I want all the stuff that all actors want, and or, uh, but. You know, my dad, my brothers are tree surgeons. They get up every morning at six thirty in the morning. They're cranking chainsaws, and that's how they go to work. And uh, maybe that's just oh, there's a little bit of that humility in my blood I mean, that sounds so precious and, and <laughs> pretentious uh, scratch that uh, I, I, you know I don't know I don't know I mean I trust me there is my agent would probably tell you no that he, he's definitely got an ego in there like when I'm like <laughs> I'm not going in for that that's too small they can offer me that if they want me to do that you know that's, right, that's right. don't get me wrong that's there yeah but I, I think maybe it's a little bit like what I was talking. I mean, I was uh, having been just a little bit older when I got started, and having been, I, you know, I would be a complete liar if I said I showed up my first day at Juilliard and I wasn't scared to death, you know, uh, and didn't it wasn't a part of me. It was like you don't really belong here, man. Look at the, you know. It's interesting because I, I was I actually had this conversation with John Slattery. We we're talking about we we're talking about someone we knew actually, and. Uh, who's just one of these guys who can walk into an audition and just be like, boom, I'm the guy. I'm the guy. And it's not even really about his work. It's almost about that he can 
throw that out there. But he can also throw it out there a little too much sometimes. And, and I mean, you know, it, it, but it works for this person. This person is very successful and it works. And John and I were both just talking about, like, there's, there's just something in me. And, and he said he had the same thing. It's just like, you're an asshole. Shut up. <laughs> if I try to do that too much, it's just like, shut the fuck up, man. Nobody wants to hear that, you know? So, um, yeah, it, it, that might be to my detriment, you know? It, well, I was, I was actually, I wanted to ask you, because you've been working so much, you know, booking all these great um, guest star spots and recurring character uh, roles and that kind of thing, I was actually, my next question was going to be about what you think works for you in the audition room you know uh, when you book a job when you don't book a job uh, how you walk in the room you know um, how you present yourself you've obviously created relationships with some of the you know key players in Hollywood in terms of producers and showrunners and and casting directors Um, so you know our listeners love to hear like what works yeah in the room well that's that's a great question and it's one that I'm constantly asking myself because I do not feel like I'm a, I'm a good auditioner. I'm a, I, I, f- I feel <laughs> like I'm a better actor than I am an auditioner, you know, and if you're an actor, you know what that means because auditioning is its own. Yeah. It's a different beast, it's a different animal. Yeah. And, um, and some people just know how to go into a room and just blow it up. And I, I, I'm, my choices tend to not, uh, not be very intellectual. So it's not like I can just sit down with a script and be like, Oh, I think this, you know, it comes, it's a little more instinctual and a little something that comes you know, in the theater, it comes through rehearsal, and the hard part of doing a TV show is, you, you know, you need to make some choices before you get there, and then let some of it kind of develop, take after take, or whatever. You know, if if you're in the, you get the luxury of having take after take. So I've tried, I'm tra- I've been constantly trying to speed that process up, and uh, auditioning is one of the places where, you know, sometimes it's like good to just make a choice and just go with it whether it's right or wrong. The hard part is I've made big choices before and gone in there, and in the middle of the scene felt like, oh, God, this is totally the wrong <laughs> There's no choice. backing out now. But there's no backing out. <laughs> You're you committed, gotta, yeah. you got to make a choice and commit to it. I find that works better than making no choice at all, which I've done that plenty, where I'm just like, I get a nice sense of the audition, and I learn the lines, and I go in, and the feedback will be like, yeah, he was fine, he was good, but nothing really... And you leave thinking, yeah, I was fine, I was good. Whereas when you make a big choice and you go in there and stick to it, you leave either thinking, I really, really shined and rocked that. Or you leave thinking, man, that just blew. But either way, you're not just like, that was fine. And either way, I don't think they're looking at it like, there's nothing worse than then. That was fine. Hmm, right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Same thing with a review. I've had reviews that were like, Darren Petty was fine in that show. It's just, it's, I'd almost rather get like, who in the hell was that? What was he doing? He made the wackiest choices. Or, of course, you want, you know. Right. This guy's yeah. genius. But, no, go ahead. Uh, no, I was going to kind of actually switch gears a little bit and ask a kind of a, a, a big question. Um, why are you an actor? I mean, I know you said you enjoyed it. And you just kind of like went with the flow and you thought, you yeah, know, I, I enjoyed doing this. I think I'd try to take some classes here and then kind yeah. of unfolded from there but um why have you stuck with it you know again not to get too precious uh Hmm. when i when i said that earlier you know like yeah i enjoyed it i mean i was understating it i mean i loved it i loved it from the get-go the first time i did a play i just loved it i like i mentioned before i was a terrible student in high school uh, kind of a burnout and it was the first time i had like the smart kids coming up to me being like wow you were you were actually really good in that 
and um and I just was and I you know I just felt like because acting's so weird I mean there's training and there's there's technique and there's all this stuff that does help loosen an actor up and you know teach you a little bit about making choices and and maybe how to use your voice but it's just one of those things it's like dancing either you can act or you can't either you can dance or you can't and uh, I just felt like I could I didn't feel like wow I'm the greatest actor in the world never have and I never will feel like that but I did I just felt like oh I think I can do this and and then once I started learning about it I, I just fell in love with it, and even though I've had moments of hating it and moments of thinking, I don't want to do this anymore, I just, bottom line is I just still love to do it. I love to do it. There's, you know, when you do a play, and I know you guys have experienced this, and I think it's for anybody who does some, what they love, whether it's playing baseball or, you know, dancing tango or, or acting or whatever, when you, when you get, get in that place where you, that's all that's happening, and you are there 100%, um, and there's not the chatter, the brain chatter going on because you're so focused on what you're doing and what's going on with the other person or the other people that you're working with and the audience. And for those couple of hours, you just you leave your life behind and you live this other life, and you're completely there. Now, every play's not like that, obviously. You're doing a Sunday matinee, sometimes you're thinking about, Jesus, I need to do this, and i got to... You know, I got bills to pay. Try not to do that, but when, especially in a long run of a play, it's hard not to, to let that happen sometimes. But those times when it's when you're just there, that's uh, you know, it's such a gift to to have that, to have that, to have. You know, I think actors are so lucky because I mean, how many people do you know? I know so many people that are my age now, twenty eight. And uh, <laughs> and they still don't know what they want to do. You know, they don't have um, a, 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 this this big passion in their lives, or they don't have. A, I'm not saying they're like without goals because I, I hate talking about goals and stuff like that. But they're like, you know, they, there's you, you, we're, we're all incredibly lucky if, if, whether you're making a great living out or not, whether it makes your life crazy in some ways or not to have this thing that you just love. You love to do it so much. And you just want to do it. You just want to get out there and do it. You know, give me the ball, coach. Let me go out there and, and do it. And whether you're doing it at a little theater on Santa Monica Boulevard or on Broadway or in front of a camera or wherever, you're, you're, you're doing it. You're doing, you're doing what you love. And um, so... Does that, yeah, does that answer the question? Oh yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. That's magic, absolutely. I know. I know we've got to. Uh, we're running out of time here, so we've got to wrap up real fast here. But we have two questions we'd like to ask uh, all our guests before we we let them go. So the first one's a little bit. Well, they're both a little new agey, but um, the first one is: Do you feel? I mean, you know, maybe we already talked about this, so maybe I'm going to ask you to repeat yourself. Um, but do you feel that this career path, this lifestyle, chose you, or do you feel like you chose it? No, I mean, it does sound a little new agey. I know. But, uh, <laughs> I would have to say I feel like it chose me because it's yeah. definitely, it's not one of those things, like I said, where I'm from that's part of, that's on the list, you know. Right. That's, it's, it's, it ain't up there with driving a truck. It ain't up there with, you know, working in a hardware store. It's, it's like, <laughs> this was definitely something that I feel like, I feel like chose me. Hmm. Which makes it all, all the more tough when you feel like it's not treating you well. 
Right. <laughs> like, thanks. Hey, you chose me. You chose why, me. Why are you treating me so bad? Come on. <laughs> I've been nice to you. Right. <laughs> yeah, and the second, the second question is um, it's sort of like the Desert Island question because we're going to force you to get really specific. But if, if you could take everything that you've learned, <clears throat> whether it was from, you know, growing up in the South versus going to the military versus going to Juilliard versus your career right now, if you could sum it all up into one like nugget of advice for somebody who was either just getting started or somebody who maybe was losing their passion. It was like, what, what's the one nugget of advice that you would give to somebody? Keep them going, basically. Uh, that's easy for me. And, and I'm not saying this because I do this so well, but this is the thing I try to remind myself, so I guess it would be fine for a young actor starting out or anyone else in their lives. And that's, I just try not to take myself too seriously. Mm. Because that's when I get in trouble. Hmm. When I get into that place of like, wait a minute, this isn't how it's supposed to be. Or don't they know who I am? Because no, they don't. <laughs> trust me. <laughs> or, you know, if I can just be, if, if I can keep a sense of humor about stuff and try not to take everything too seriously and wear life like a loose garment, as I heard many wise people say, everything seems to run more smoothly in this business and life in general. So I think that's the one thing I would pass on. Oh my God! Wear life like a loose, loose garment. garment. Yeah. That's that's a little bit of a noodle baker. That's a, that might be a knowledge bomb. Is that a knowledge bomb? <laughs> Put it be. in. Darren, thank you so much for well, sitting thank down you guys. with us. It was this, great. Is, this is so great. I'm I'm really thankful that we got a chance to to catch you before you take off to New York. Me You're too. going to work on now uh, a show in New York, yeah? Yeah, a play called Detroit. Um, it's going to be a Playwrights Horizons where this started that we brought to Culver City. That's right. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Amy Ryan, David Schwimmer, Larry oh, Cullum, wow. who played my father in Mad Men, he's going to be in it. Well, that's great. So for our New York-based listeners, um, they'll have to go check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we'll make sure we put some information for that uh, on the website. Do. And if, if people want to find out more about you, um, where can they go? They can just call me. Just call you. <laughs> just call you up. <laughs> find out. Oh, hell, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I mean, are you on, on uh, Twitter? I mean, you have an IMDb no. page we'll link to. I mean, yeah, there's an IMDb page. Yeah. I'm, I don't do Twitter or any of that stuff. Okay. So. Just yeah, IMDb, cool. I guess. That might be it might be better. Yeah. <laughs> I feel I love Twitter, but I feel like a lot of times it dispels some of the mystery that, that we like to have around people. Yeah, it's we, like, I mean, can you imagine if back in the, if if you were reading Humphrey Bogart's tweets? It's just, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it doesn't have the same. Yeah, yeah. yeah or, anyway, awesome. <laughs> I've never thought of it that way. Actually, it's really funny. Darren, thank you so much for yeah, being thank here, you guys. No problem. All right, guys, hope you enjoyed our chat with Darren Petty. That was from episodes 80 and 81 all those years ago. Man, that must have been like hmm, four years ago, maybe five years ago. And he had just done a play at the Kirk Douglas Theater. He was excellent in it, and he was just headed off to New York to do uh, another play, as, as we just heard. Uh, I'm not sure what he's up to now, but I'm going to shoot him an email and let him know that we're re-airing this interview and, and um, maybe get an update on where he's at in his journey. Maybe even do a quick interview with him again just to hear what's changed, what's new. What did he say in this interview that is different now, that maybe he's learned something new and his philosophy's uh, been tweaked a little bit. But hope you enjoyed it, guys. I know I've been eager to listen to this one and put it out into the community again because, again, that, that knowledge bomb, wear life like a loose garment, has been my mantra lately. So let's talk about picks of the week. 
Uh, I'll go first. My pick of the week, great documentary called What the Health. You can find it online at whatthehealthfilm.com. It's the same uh, team that brought you Cowspiracy. So it's about food and health and the corrupt system that makes a lot of money off the backs of sick people paying for unnecessary medications when they could heal themselves very easily with their diet. You can probably imagine uh, what the solution is, but there was a lot of information in this movie that sort of caught me by surprise. It's a really fast-paced, well-crafted documentary. I enjoyed it thoroughly, of course, because I agree with the message, but... Even if you don't agree, uh, check it out because it's not it, its not like they don't really beat you over the head with eat more plants. Uh, but it's there, there's just an interesting – they connect the dots in interesting ways. I really enjoyed it. I saw a screening of it in Thousand Oaks. Uh, Rich Roll, who's a vegan endurance athlete, has got a really great podcast called The Rich Roll Podcast. And uh, – he just does a bunch of cool stuff. I love that guy. So I bought tickets to go see a screening that he was sort of putting on uh, for the guys. He knows the guys who made this film. And, and afterwards, we did a Q&A, and I got to talk to him. And it was really cool. Anyway, you can see the film online right now, whatthehealthfilm.com. It's $10, I think, to to see it, but um, it's money well spent. I'm sure if you wait six months, it'll be on Netflix. But I'd encourage you to to watch it now if you are at all interested in learning a little bit more about man, how messed up the system is and how you kind of can't trust anybody except your own experience. But even that can be uh, really influenced uh, by outside conditioning. Check it out. Really compelling documentary. Whatthehealthfilm.com. And AJ's pick of the week. So I alluded to this earlier in my catch-up. I was talking about the self-taping and... I thought, you know, since I've been doing a lot of cell taping and I'm recording this solo, I should talk about the microphone that I use for my iPhone as my pick of the week. It's called the Shure Motive MV88. Uh, They typically retail for about $150. They are lightning, which means they plug directly into any iPhone or iPad. And both Ben and myself use this microphone for all of our self-tapes. It is a condenser microphone made by Shure. They have a great reputation. It comes with a, a windscreen and a little, a neat little carrying case that you can carry it around with uh, that's uh, like a pill shape that fits in the palm of your hand. It's very small, so super compact, uh, easy to use. There's a free app in the App Store that you can use with it to make adjustments to the EQ and um, the compressor and the direction, the directionality of the mic. So it can do bi-directional if you're sort of sitting across from somebody doing an interview or what I'm doing right now, which is uh, sort of unidirectional pointed at my face while I record this very versatile uh, little microphone. And, and uh, you know, I know 150 sounds like a lot, but when it comes to video, Trevor and I have talked about this on the podcast before, audio, on uh, good audio on a video is almost more important than the video quality itself. So uh, that's my uh, recommendation in terms of audio for your self-taping. And if anybody has any questions about you know, other self-taping resources. I've got uh, a ton of those as well. Ben has put together a really extensive list. Uh, We shared that out with our class at UCLA. But that's my pick of the week, the Shure MV88. Awesome. 
Awesome, awesome. I would actually say that the sound quality is more important than video quality because people are willing to forgive bad video and sort of just write it off as an artistic choice. But bad sound just is bad. <laughs> people like no no quicker way to get people to tune out than to make it hard to hear what's going on uh, or unpleasant to listen to in some way. So so uh, definitely a good investment, and this is perfect because. David H. Lawrence XVII and I are creating, co-creating a how to be a podcaster class for the VO2GoGo Pro curriculum. So we've been back and forth about, you know, what to include. We've been asking some of the pros and people in the community what they want to learn about. So we can really get you started with a podcast of some sort. And it doesn't have to be something like this. It could just be a, your own scripted thing. A lot of people are writers or a lot of people want to go out and interview people on the street and do like, a, you know, field recordings or audio um journalism audio type stuff um and so it sounds like this will be a really great solution for that kind of thing i was looking at the website uh while you were talking about it aj and um it looks like a just a, the perfect solution for that kind of thing i don't know if you can monitor yourself which would be kind of key if you wanted to do any sort of professional voiceover work i don't know if you can listen to yourself as you record and then hear what the mic is picking up in real time but if you can then amazing if not I would have to default for voiceover purposes to the AT2020 USB Plus. But for everything else, especially self-taping, this looks like the the mic to pick. So uh, awesome. Great to know about that. I'm really excited to add that to, uh, to my list of things to lust after. So that is whatthehealth.com and the Shure MV88 microphone for your iPhone or I assume your iPad as well. So today's episode of Inside Acting was produced and co-hosted by me, Trevor Algott, and A.J. Meyer. Jen Levin is our production coordinator. Gidala Gubrek is our marketing and web director. Deborah Smith is our community manager. Grace Gordon is our director of public relations. And Fern Lim designed our logo. Trevor Algott edited and mixed today's episode and composed our theme and interview music. You can sign up for our weekly email dispatch and listen to all of our episodes at our website, InsideActing.net. You can also find us on social media and wherever you get your podcasts. If you've got a minute, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps a lot. Big thanks to our sponsors, Rehearsal Pro, VO2Gogo.com, and PrintHeadshots.com. And a big thanks to you guys, our listeners. You make this thing possible. Visit our website to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, get links to everything we've talked about in this episode, and if you'd like, support the continued production of this show with either a one-time financial contribution or an ongoing contribution as part of our membership. Just visit insideacting.net slash membership to learn more. Visit, inside, visit insideacting.net slash contribute or and or insideacting.net slash membership to learn more and to show us a little love. So that's it for episode 273 of Inside Acting. Thank you so much for listening, guys. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime... Wear life like a loose garment.